The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, thanks one more time for being here. Uh, Really glad to have you with us. Uh, Whether you're one of our regular attenders, you call Canyon Ridge Church your home, or whether you're someone who was invited by one of those regular attenders because they care about you so much and they wanted to share this moment with you, or whether you're just someone who has found us through the internet uh, and you're just trying us out, you are welcome. It's a privilege to have you with us and we're excited to have you here. Uh, I'm really, uh, really looking forward to the message that God has to give to us today through his word. Uh, I've just felt his presence in um, the time that I have spent with this message, working on it throughout this week and the weeks before this, uh, just saying God wants to speak these words to us. He has a message of hope and a message of encouragement for us today, and I hope you're ready to receive it. Uh, Let's go to him in a word of prayer, and we will get to it. Father God, thank you once again uh, for this day, for this chance to celebrate you, Lord. And thank you for the message that, uh, Lord, you want to speak to us. Uh, I praise your name, Lord, that, that even in uh, times of trouble, in times of hardship, uh, that there is still so much to celebrate. And Lord, these are times when, when your voice speaks to us clearly and helps us and guides us through. Help us to receive that help and that guidance from you today. Help us to leave this place with more hope than we came in with. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps it's not lost on you, and I know it's not lost on me, uh, but as we meet today, together, uh, some of the experts out there are predicting that we may be at or near the deadliest point in this country's battle against the novel coronavirus that we now know as COVID-19. I mean, here we are, what is meant to be this moment of celebration, while we are literally at our darkest hour. Maybe. (laughs) We'd like to know that we've seen the worst, and that from here things will get better. But frankly, we don't even know that for sure. Even the experts that are guiding us and shaping our expectations, they will admit that they don't have all the answers they'd like to have right now, that they're still learning. They still don't know all of what lies ahead. I mean, across the planet right now, billions and billions of people are affected in ways they never predicted. We're being confined to our homes. We're doing church from our homes. We're refraining from being even near other human beings. Those of us who can are trying to figure out how to do our work without going to work. Uh, Others of us are wondering how we will make ends meet at our jobs, as our jobs simply just don't exist anymore, at least right now. As businesses, individuals, they're all trying to figure out how to carry on when an economy is largely on hold. And looking toward the future, no one really knows where this goes from here either. It could be short, it could be long, it could be just a couple of months on the counter that were just really different, or this could be a time that changes what normal even looks like from this point forward. And the uncertainty of it all can just hang on us like a weight. It seems to me that's where many of us are today. So how can we feel like celebrating? How can we possibly 
ignore or, or move past what is going on out there everywhere in the world so that we can just focus on something good or something happy. I mean, some churches have literally suggested, let's postpone Easter, saying there's no way right now that we can properly celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so let's just reschedule that and let's just do it at a later time. I mean, is it really the best time to focus on a story of hope and new life when so many are in despair, even dying? Our answer today, though, is now more than ever. The message of the resurrection is absolutely one of hope, and such messages are meant precisely for such a time as this. The Bible itself tells us that hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Romans chapter four, verse or chapter eight, verse twenty-four B. But when we realize our need, when we realize how broken and incomplete we are, when we know we can't fix things on our own, when we don't have all the answers, that's when we need hope. We don't need to ignore the dark times around us. Rather, we need to acknowledge that there is darkness around us, and yes, even brokenness within us, and that those things are the things that put us very clearly in the place that we are today. We need a message of hope. We need a message of hope, but not just any message will do. See, it's got to be real. I will tell you, one of my pet peeves is false encouragement. You know, when someone else giving else hope, someone is giving someone else hope based on nothing, right? Every time I hear the phrase, it's going to be okay, I naturally cringe at that. Now, sometimes it is going to be okay. Actually, I'd say usually things are at least eventually going to be okay. But I am not okay with telling people, with guaranteeing to people that it will be okay, unless I know that's true. Because sometimes it's not. Sometimes things get worse and not better. You, you've no doubt seen in the movies, right? The scenes in the movies where, where a soldier is holding his dying teammate in his arm. And, and this dying soldier asks questions like, Did we win? Is my injury really all that bad? Are we going to get to go home now? And the one holding him just, just keeps telling him whatever he wants to hear. No use making the guy feel bad because he's only got a few moments to live. I hate those scenes. I hate those scenes because they tell us that hope is really just about making people feel good. And if it doesn't turn out, eh, they'll forgive you. Or they'll never know. We need a message of hope today, but, but not any message will do. Real hope is based on real Truth. Not feelings, not wishes, not dreams, but truth that is rock solid today and truth that gives us a reason to believe in a better future to come. And if that's what we're looking for, there might be actually no better place for us to look than the message of Easter. And simply put, the main message today is this. God is alive 
and well. It's the message of Easter Sunday. It's the message of the morning of the resurrection that, that despite the tragedy of death, that in the midst of fear and uncertainty, that even in the face of a true evil, God is alive and well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul is writing and he sums up this, this core thing that we call the gospel, the good news. He says this, now let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe in the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. See, and there you see it. Not any message will do. It's got to be rooted in the truth. He continues, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. If there was ever good news that we need today, it is this Easter truth that God is alive and well. This is that seminal truth that gives us a real reason to hope. If Jesus is alive and well, if he really was permanently raised from the dead, it means he's got power over death and hope for any of us that might face it. It means that in this uncertain world, we've got one place that we can put our faith that will never let us down. It means that, that God loves us in a way so deep we may never fully understand it. It means that Jesus' death for our sins was fully accepted by God. So we now have this open invitation to a relationship with him and a future with him later that isn't stained by brokenness or by evil or war or disease. And did you catch what was said in those verses that we just read? Something was said in there twice. Jesus died and he was raised just as the scriptures said. So it also means that God keeps his word. The scriptures said this hundreds and hundreds of years prior. God keeps his word over centuries, across history and cultures, even when he promises something that literally seems impossible. In short, because God is alive and well, every word he has spoken to us can be trusted, can be banked upon. In Jesus' own words, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words, my words will never pass away. And we can trust every single one of those words because God is alive and well today, just as he said he would be. It's a simple enough message, but the implications of it could fill a lifetime. Simply put, if God is alive, alive and well, it changes everything. That shapes my life's purpose. That changes my life's priorities. If God is alive and well, it puts everything that happens in life in a completely different context. I see not just life and death differently, but family and neighbors and jobs and money and service and gratitude and, well, just about any other thing that I could possibly list. If God is alive and well, that truth becomes a supreme truth 
that informs all other truths. I mean, things can be true and really not be that interesting. I can tell you right now, most of my socks are white. It's true, but no one cares. But if God is alive and well, everyone should care. Everyone should know. Because this message absolutely matters to everything that matters in life. And today, you and I can fully put our trust in this message. And we can absolutely rejoice with the hope that it provides, secured by God himself. There are no guarantees stronger than that. But. Oh, there had to be a but, right? Sorry. But. I have a concern. I'm concerned that a lot of us might miss the radical truths that are claimed in this message. You see, up until now, uh, I've given you a message that's no larger than a soundbite. I mean, it's five words, and two of which are is and and. You know, I don't even count. Uh, and to probably the vast majority of people listening, there's not even anything surprising in any of those words. I mean, you came to church, came to church <laughs> on Easter, and we talked about the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, what a shocker, right? <laughs> Wait till Christmas when the main message will be, Jesus was born. But hang in there, because, because I'm concerned. I am concerned that so many of us will hear these words. So many of us have already heard these words many times before, but we will hear them one more time today and we'll miss the message. Yes, there is a message of hope in there, but this is not just a spiritual pep talk, not just to make you feel good. Those same five words also build, they build that hope on a bedrock of truth that many of us miss. Without the truth, don't count on the hope. I'm concerned that we have a tendency to be like, like a boss who doesn't fully listen to his lead accountant. The accountant comes in, right? In the midst of a dire financial situation, she spends all night, she has maybe spent all week going over and over the numbers and the options. And finally, she comes into the boss's office with a smile on her face because, well, because she's got hope. There is a way, a way forward to a brighter future. And in this dark time, and with that smile on her face, she leads with hope. Boss, it's gonna work out. We can do this, and we might even be more profitable than before but we're gonna really have to make some serious changes. And th though she wants to continue, the boss butts in, really? We're gonna make it? And even better profits. That is wonderful, great job, lead accountant person. I knew you could figure it out. And from that point on, the boss really only pretends to listen. Though the accountant desperately wants to get the boss on board with a whole host of suggestions and, and changes and plans and details. He's heard 
already what he wants to hear. He's got the hope. The rest is just boring details, right? Someone else will make those things happen. But in reality, he misses the message. He doesn't get it. He doesn't provide attention to the things that matter afterwards, and the company doesn't fare well in this financial crisis. And I'm concerned that we can do that same thing. See, I led today with hope. I led out with the best message you could think about. God is alive and well. What a wonderful message. And who wouldn't want the hope that shines out from that message? But there's also truth in that message that we must understand and live into if we are really to count on the hope that the message provides. And I don't want anyone who's with us today to miss it. So let's shine a light today on three truths. Three truths we might miss in this message of hope. Three truths so many people miss in this simple statement that God is alive and well. And the first one is this. We can miss that Jesus indeed claimed to be God. We can miss that Jesus indeed claimed to be God, such that today we are celebrating not just that Jesus is alive and well, but when we say that name of Jesus, we are referring to God himself. Now let me, let me make what some might consider to be a bold statement. Too many people like Jesus without really acknowledging who he is. I mean, Jesus is a fairly popular guy. I mean, sure, you can say, well, 2,000 years ago, yeah, crowds of people followed him wherever he went, but I'm talking about today. In a world that is divided and opinionated like it's never been before, Jesus is still pretty darn popular. I mean, if you took an opinion poll of every person on earth and asked people if they have a generally positive view of Jesus, a generally negative view of Jesus, or they're neutral or they don't know about him, you know, neither. The vast, vast majority of this whole planet would give him a thumbs up. According to data from the Pew Research Center in 2015, 2.3 billion people on this earth, making up 31% of our population, will call themselves Christians. They will say they are followers of Jesus Christ. But see, they're not the only ones who see him favorably. Muslims revere him as a prophet. Most Hindus see him as a holy man and one of the many gods they believe in. They see him as God too, but just one of the many. Buddhists believe he was a wise teacher and he was a man who actually achieved enlightenment. And in those four faith groups alone, that accounts for 77.3% of the world's population who would definitely check that box and say, they have a favorable opinion of Jesus, a very high opinion of Jesus. And of course, the numbers are even bigger than that, because even if you fit in some other category, you can still have a favorable opinion of Jesus, and many people do. I thought it was interesting. Uh, when I was researching this message, I ran across a, another poll that was done in 2011. It's a little bit old, nine years old, uh, just in the U.S., 
and it found out that Jesus was the second most popular person in the United States, with 90% of Americans having a positive view of him. In case you're wondering, Abraham Lincoln came out first with 91%, but no other person in the whole survey even scored in the 90s. So I still hold on to my bold statements from earlier. Too many people like Jesus without really acknowledging who he is. You'll notice that in that different uh, that list of different faith groups that I just gave you, every single one had their, their own way of understanding who Jesus is. Well, this is who he is. It's like, well, it's like that everyone has to address the elephant in the room. You, you just can't develop a meaningful picture of life and spirituality without addressing Jesus. And so many groups and many, many individual people have just found a way to fit Jesus in, to make him fit very snugly into their own worldview without really considering the fact that that was not who Jesus ever claimed to be in the first place. So maybe it's fair enough to say, you know, many people regard Jesus as a holy person, as a wise teacher, a good man, even a prophet. And he was those things. But none of those things was even close to the most significant identity that he did actually claim. In fact, all of those roles, important though they may sound, pale dramatically in comparison with the fact that Jesus Christ claimed to be God made into a human being. I mean, I don't care what other great things someone claims about themselves once they make that move, right? If you told me uh, you had won an Olympic gold medal, you got my attention. I'd be super intrigued. If you told me that you did that and that you could speak 23 languages fluently, I'd be even more interested. If you added to that, that you had earned a million dollars last year and given 90% of it to worthy causes, you would definitely have my attention. I would think you're one of the most incredible human beings I've ever come across in my life. But the moment anyone would make that claim, I am God himself. I don't care about any of that other stuff anymore. That's how big of a deal that is. I mean, if someone is God in the flesh, I'm not really impressed by the fact that they won a gold medal. I mean, in fact, I might even ask them, really, just one? Right? But, but with that singular claim, everything else pales. It's not enough to say, well, yeah, he is a wise teacher, or he is a holy person, or he is a prophet, or he is a messenger of God. No, no, that is not the claim that we need to stand on, the claim we need to look into and investigate. No, the claim is infinitely bigger than that. And in Jesus' case, he claimed to be the one and only Son of God, equal to and one with the God who created the universe and the God that he simply called his father. Listen to some of Jesus's words. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he claims to be the exclusive person who provides access to God, saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In his ministry, he claimed the right 
to forgive people's sins against God. He promised that he himself would be the judge of all people. These are rights that only belong to God. He taught about the kingdom of God over and over again, and he referred to that kingdom as my kingdom when talking with his disciples before he was arrested. And in John chapter 10, verse 30, he spells it out plain and simply. He says, I and the Father are one. The Son is God, just as the Father is God. And how easy it can be for us to have a favorable view of Jesus. I mean, very few don't. But we can miss the fact that he indeed claimed to be the one and only Son of God. And Jesus the teacher is helpful. Jesus the prophet is noble. Jesus the holy man is a good example. But if Jesus is God, everything changes. He's got a claim on your life and mine. If Jesus is God, then he is the creator and the sustainer of all it is. He's the only one who can define the purpose or meaning of life. He's the source of all knowledge and truth. He's the only one who can define right or wrong. He's the only one who can count on, who we can count on to be consistent and pure regardless of circumstances or of time. And if he is God, then he is the one to which all of us will have to give an account at the end of our lives. I mean, now that's not just fancy words that I've come up with. That's what Jesus himself said. We go back to the book of John again, chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus says, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And do you see what happened there? In that one statement, Jesus literally claimed every single person who has ever lived and died will eventually have to answer to me. Now that is not cool. And that is not right. And that is not even true. Unless. Unless Jesus really is God. And see, we can miss this. We can miss that this is the radical claim that he is making. I mean, of those 77 plus percent people of the world's population who would click like on Jesus' profile, the vast majority of them miss out on that. The vast majority of them don't see who Jesus himself claimed to be. He claimed to be your creator and mine. He claimed to be the exclusive one to define good and evil, right and wrong, truth and fiction. He claimed to be the source of life. He claimed to be God. The second truth that we can miss out on in this very hopeful message that God is alive and well is that the resurrection is historical fact. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is historical fact. Let me ask you, how does that statement strike you? Because maybe for some you are, I know it's for some, you are like, whoa, hold your horses there, pastor. Uh, we know you believe this stuff, but you have to, right? I mean, that's your job. But not everybody agrees in your so-called historical facts. 
And you'd be right at least on the last part. I mean, I don't believe it just because it's my job. Um, but you're right. Everybody doesn't agree. And what you'll see is that there's really this interesting dynamic if you do some looking into it. Because almost without exception, every serious historian will agree that Jesus of Nazareth existed. That he was absolutely a real person who walked the earth, who grew up in Nazareth, even had a teaching ministry, and was put to, get, put to death by the Roman government. I mean, these historical facts, they're fairly unchallenged. But uh, what happened after Jesus died? That's the part that's, well, really hard to believe. Resurrection? Uh, now it sounds like we've moved from history into legend. I mean, every culture has a way of building larger-than-life stories around their heroes, right? So many historians, heck, many even just regular people, they'll just take a pass at that point. They'll just go, I am choosing not to consider that part of the story historical fact. The other stuff, yeah. But uh, the miracle stuff, uh, healing people, and then coming back from the dead, that's the legendary stuff that the authors added in. So, I mean, is that a valid option? Is that, is that something we can do? Can, can we still love and follow Jesus, still learn from Jesus, still, still say he's the best teacher, he's the wisest teacher, he's a holy person, he's a great historical figure, even if the resurrection didn't happen? And surprisingly, the Bible answers that question rather directly with a resounding no. No, you can't. Let's look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again, verses 17 through 18. It says this, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. Now, you want to talk about your bold statements? Uh, this one's got me beat by far. Check this out. The Apostle Paul, in these two sentences, is basically saying this. Everything in the Christian faith depends on this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I mean, this is not the kind of thing that you would actually expect to find in the Scripture. This is, this is Paul saying, look, I am going to hand you the beating heart of this entire faith. And if this isn't true, none of it is. This is like the plans to the Death Star. Hey, if you want to just fire two photon torpedoes down this shaft, everything will explode. I mean, who does that? Who, who volunteers that kind of information up freely? Hey, here's how, if you wanted to instantly destroy my life's greatest achievements, here's how you do it. I mean, Paul, the person who wrote this, Paul spent the latter half of his life giving absolutely everything to the cause of spreading the Christian faith. Why in the world would he tell people if this one thing gets disproved, reject everything. If this one impossible thing isn't true, reject everything. Get out. It's all worthless. Why would he do that? Because he absolutely knew that Jesus had been raised from the dead. See, to Paul, this wasn't even a historical fact yet. To him, it was recent personal experience. 
Paul had seen Jesus himself, and Jesus taught the taught Paul the gospel, the good news directly. Paul tells us, uh, so he, he tells us, hey, I'm not afraid to tell you the actual truth here. The resurrection is absolutely at the core of the entire Christian faith. Yes, it's a miracle. Yes, it's impossible in the normal course of life. But simply put, Jesus isn't who he said he was unless the resurrection is absolutely real. I mean, Jesus claimed to be God and he claimed in advance that he would die and rise again. And we can't believe either of those things if the resurrection is just a legend. But they are both shown to be true if the resurrection really happened. It's real resurrection or bust. Real resurrection or nothing at all. But Paul's pretty darn confident because he has literally met the resurrected Jesus. He never met Jesus before he was resurrected. He's only known him as the resurrected Jesus. Well, what about those of us then who haven't had that privilege of seeing Jesus with our, our own two eyes? I mean, we might be tempted to go down this road that so many people follow that, you know, this, this blind faith sort of route where we believe just because um, we're supposed to. Um, but you ought to know that the Bible never really asks you to just jump into believing things for no reason. That's not the way God lays it out. Rather, God seems pretty comfortable with putting the truth out there and calling us to follow where it leads. For example, earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right after Paul describes the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, he says this in verses 5 through 8. Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Look, when, when Paul is writing this letter, he even says it himself, the vast majority of all these people, says everyone here in this list has seen him, the vast majority of those people are still alive. And he lists them and he says, check the facts out. Talk to people. There are literally hundreds of them who have seen Jesus alive again after his crucifixion. At different times, at different places, some together, some separate. They're not all making it up. Go talk to them and see. It stands to reason that Christianity wouldn't have fared too well in the early years if people like Paul were inviting everybody who could to investigate it like this, unless those hundreds of witnesses had all some true stories to tell of a risen Christ. See, today God still calls us to examine what's true and follow that truth. Believe based on the truth, not just because someone told you to. There are many stories in the past several decades, uh, the story just seems to repeat itself over and over again of a highly intelligent scholar who says, I'm going to do it. I am setting out to prove that this is not true. I am going to disprove the resurrection. Only to find themselves coming to believe in its truth when they follow the evidence. I want to give you some resources. 
C.S. Lewis was one of those. He was a professor at Oxford. You probably know he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. You've heard that name before. He captured his journey in a book called Mere Christianity. Josh McDowell wrote an amazing volume packed with scholarly research called Evidence That Demands a Verdict that you probably won't ever finish reading. This is not one to get if you're like, hey, light reading. No, this is deep down in the weeds, scholarly notes. Um, there's so much information in it. Lee Strobel was an avowed atheist and a journalist for the Chicago Tribune who ended up, instead of writing about how the resurrection was false, he ended up writing a book called The Case for Christ. There's also a really good movie that shows his story. And there are many, many more stories just like this. I just mentioned these few because these few have produced some great resources for anyone who needs to look at the evidence for the of the resurrection for themselves. And, and actually, if you're a guest with us today, uh, we have a resource for you today that I will tell you with, uh, tell you about at the end of today's service. See, Jesus simply isn't alive and well. He, he's not even alive unless he rose from the dead. Don't miss this part of the message that it's the real deal. The resurrection is historical fact. We can follow the evidence, and we can base our faith and our hope on something genuine. Finally, the last truth that we can miss in the claim that God is alive and well is that this claim means that Jesus isn't done yet. Jesus is not done yet. See, sometimes I think it's so easy for us to just think of following Jesus as knowing the truth. Right? I mean, that's a lot of what today is about, right? We're, we're talking about truth. We're unpacking the truth here. But there's so much more to Jesus than knowing that he is God and believing that he died on the cross and rose again. That knowledge is critical. Don't get me wrong. But Jesus does not stop with us knowing who he is or what he's done for us. He's got plans for us. He wants to lead us and to love us through the ups and downs of life. And he's calling us to a purpose that is so much higher than our own. We can only give ourselves purposes that are as high as ourselves. Jesus calls us to a purpose that is so much higher than our own. And he's, he's not just alive that he came to life again 2,000 years ago. He's alive and well. He is active. He is moving. He is leading. He is making old things new. He is bringing healing into places of brokenness. See, after his resurrection, after this huge victory that we're celebrating today, he wasn't done by a long shot. Instead, he had work to do and he had work for us to do. He commissioned his disciples and sent them out on the biggest mission the world has ever known. And he didn't send them alone. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Just note that he starts by saying it, that he's got it. He's got all the authority there is. Uh, we, are, we are listening to the person who is God himself. And he tells his disciples, therefore, because of this authority that I have, I am charging you, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of the commands I have given you. And there we see that there is this higher purpose 
that is found in living life according to his teaching and sharing the knowledge of who he is with others. But then, look how he ends it. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He ends by saying, you will never be doing this alone because I'm not done. I'm not done working. I'm going with you. You will have the one with all authority in heaven and on earth right there with you every step of the way. Now, other people have said that to us, right? That they'd always be there and other people have failed. But here is the one person who can say that with full credibility. He is God. He has proven every word he said to be true. And then he makes this promise. He will never leave us. He will be with us. And in other passages, he tells us that he will even put his spirit in us to strengthen us, to comfort us, to guide us through whatever life may bring. Don't miss that part of the message. Though we are absolutely here today to celebrate what God has done, Jesus isn't done yet. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the hope that only you can give. It is because you are alive and well that we can know that this prayer, that, that each prayer is not an exercise in futility. It's not just us talking to ourselves, but Lord, you hear us. You are with those who follow you and you treasure our prayers. I pray today, Lord, that you would bring hope to all who seek it. Not the empty hope of nice words with no substance behind them, but the sure hope of those who will follow you. Provide for the needs of your people, Lord, and show this world even more of your grace and mercy in these trying times. We pray these things in the name of the living, resurrected Savior. Amen. Well, we're just about done for today, but let me tell you about two things before we sign off. First of all, let me thank you for coming and invite you back for next week. Um, I really, <laughs> I really wanted more time for our message on that last point that Jesus isn't done yet. He's alive and well. He's active in our lives because there is so much amazing proof to give to you about that point. The proof is seen in the lives of people that Jesus is working in and through. When we're going through these tough times, when we're going through times that we never thought we'd be, and we see God walk alongside us and give us the strength and guide us and be, be someone who leads us through these times with his love and his compassion and his patience, that is where we see the evidence for that. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. You are not going to want to miss this. This message today... Yeah, it was our Easter message, but it was the start of a series that we're calling Alive and Well. And for the next three weeks, we're going to have three different speakers who are going to share an amazing story, each one of them, of how God has shown himself to be alive and well in their lives and in the story that they have walked through. So please do not miss that. Every single one of you, I'd love to invite you back for next week. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, secondly, let me tell you about this thing uh, called a connection card. Uh, probably doesn't sound that important to you. It's something we usually do when we're meeting in person. Um, 
but it's a, it's an option that we usually do to help connect a little bit better with the people that are attending Canyon Ridge Church. And uh, usually we ask everyone to fill them out to let us know they're there and let us know what's going on in their lives. If they need any connection from a pastor or a staff or a prayer request or anything like that, that's the way that we do that. I won't ask everybody who's doing it today to do it online, um, but I do want three of you to, to take three different situations to take uh, advantage of uh, filling out a connection card. We have a connection card that you can fill out on our website to just let us know you're here, let us know some contact information about you. And I'd like to, uh, I'd say that'd be a great thing for you to do if you fit in one of three cases. First of all, if you are a guest with us today, uh, somebody invited you and this is, you know, this is unique to you, it's your first or second time with us, um, we actually have a free gift for you. It, it's a very sad story to tell you that uh, a couple months ago we were getting ready for Easter and I ordered 40 copies of a book called The Case for Easter. I have them in my house right here. 40 copies of a book called The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel, who I mentioned earlier, talking about the evidence for the resurrection. It's a little short book, about 90 pages or so. You can read it in a couple hours, but it will tell you about some of the real-world history, the real-world evidence that points to the, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I want to give you a copy of that. Now, with the way things are, um, it's kind of hard to give you one if you're not in the same room as I am. But I found out there's a way that I can send you a digital copy of that book through Amazon, as long as you're in the U.S. So if you're a guest with us today and you fill out a connection card on our website on the link that we're providing and just let us know, hey, I was here. Here's an email address where you can reach me. Uh, we would love that. And we will send you a free copy of that book um, if you're, again, in the U.S. Uh, for some reason, can't send them outside of the country. Um, but that'd be just our way of saying thank you for coming because we really appreciate you being with us. Secondly, uh, fill out a connection card if you have a prayer request. One of the things we do is anytime we get a prayer request submitted on one of those cards, our staff all gets to see that and we pray over you. We join you in prayer and uh, ask God to meet you where you are in your times and in your place. Um, so if you've got a prayer request and you want someone to join you and be on that team with you, we will do that for you. And last, last but certainly not least, um, if any of the stuff that uh, we've been talking about today in this message has really kind of spoke to your heart. Uh, not in a way that says, hey, you know, I want to tell you guys a good job. That's not what we're interested in. But it spoke to your heart in a way that has said, you need to take a next step in your journey in trusting Jesus. Um, we want to be there to help you with that as well. However we can. Again, not our normal times, but we'll reach out to you if you want to learn about what next steps could look like for growing in a relationship with Jesus or starting a relationship with Jesus and turning your life over to his hands because there are no better hands that your life could be in. If that's you, again, please fill out a card. Let us know who you are. Let us know that that's where you're at and we'll get in touch with you. We'd love to walk a next step with you in your journey. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our time today. So grateful one more time to have you with us. Uh, my prayer is that, uh, that God met you in this time, but also that you'll respond to the way God met you, and that he, he wants to take you another step further wherever you're at. So I pray that you will do that in the week to come. Thanks again for being with us. I hope you have a great week, but I hope we'll see you back here, Cannon Ridge Church Home Edition, next Sunday.